Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a 3-in-1 formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. And its advanced beating technology keeps you seeing safely all year long. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Pick some up at Walmart today. Empty your pockets Welcome to the Band of History. Today I sit down with Brianna McCant, the archivist and curator behind the Richard Manuel Archive, a new project that is celebrating the life and legacy of Richard Manuel. We talked to Brianna about the inception of the project, her love of 60s and 70s culture, and what she hopes to achieve with this great new project. I really enjoyed my conversation with her. Without further ado, here it is. I think the first thing I wanted to start with is how do you find yourself as as a young individual like myself and like a lot of other kind of fans of the band? How do you find yourself in this world? How did you find yourself listening to the band? When was like the first time you heard the music? Yeah, that's actually kind of a funny story. The first time I heard the band was my sixth grade French teacher played Acadian Driftwood for us. And then I listened to like nothing but that song for a month afterwards. Um, and I didn't hear them again for like, 10 years until I listened to the weight. Um, and I just thought that was like most incredible thing I had ever heard in my life. And it was really just kind of a, a song I listened to a lot at times that I kind of needed to. And then one day on a whim, I was just like, all right, you know what? I want to listen to this whole album. Like I'm looking for something to listen to. And my God, by the time I finished listening to music from Big Pink, I was like, man, I've never heard anything like this before. And, you know, that was I don't want to say it's all downhill from there because it was really uphill, but you know, it, that was the moment. It really caught me right from the beginning. That's interesting. Like, a lot, you know, you talk to a lot of folks about the first song they hear. A lot of times it is the way uh, Acadian Driftwood is definitely a more popular band song, but that's a, that's an interesting one to start on. Um, are, are you Canadian by chance? Was this in like some, I'm not. Oh, you're not. Okay. So even, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Then when, when you were looking, I guess, later on when you heard The Weight and, and you were interested a little bit, 
I'm assuming you had uh, you like this type of music, you like this era. Was there other artists that kind of swirled around uh, that that you were enjoying first? Like a lot of folks coming through Dylan, or even like Neil Young or Joni Mitchell, or you know some of these auxiliary characters in the band's life. Yeah, I definitely came in through Bob Dylan. Um, I'd always been just kind of into like that folk scene. Um, and over time, started picking up more of like the '60s rock scene as well. And so then whenever, you know, I started listening to the band more regularly and was like, this kind of combines both worlds. Like this feels like a perfect combination of like, you know, Laurel Canyon kind of rock, Greenwich Village kind of folk. And they're right in the middle, you know, in Woodstock, New York. And I like that a lot. You listen to music from Big Pink and then that kind of like opened everything up. You start listening, I'm assuming, to all the other albums, start digging in a little bit more. What was something like off the bat that kind of, other than the music, obviously the music's huge, but like, what was there anything else about the group that kind of struck you while you were kind of, you know, exploring them for the first time? Yeah, when I was in those really kind of early phases of it, you know, a lot of the the books and just kind of people in general talk about the fact that they just look like ordinary guys, like they just or somebody you can know, like down the road. And that was something that caught me is I was like, oh, even in like that songwriting style, they don't, they don't feel like, you know, rock stars per se. They're just kind of like, okay, you know, that's that guy down the road who's telling this story about, you know, this thing that he did or somebody he knows. And it was really very accessible, I guess is the best way to describe it. Like I was kind of caught by the way you could connect to these stories. I liked that a lot. No, yeah, there is a, there's definitely a juxtaposition in, in terms of their style, obviously, they kind of, in a lot of ways, I know, like, they're, they're the whole mythos around the band is, yeah, they're the regular guys that they were, like, family people that was, like, kind of different than rock, but they were kind of rebelling in their own way. It wasn't as loud as, you know, The Who or something, you know, early on, but, like, they were definitely rebelling against kind of, I guess, the more flashy and showy characters of um, the late 60s. Um, but... Now, you, you, from what I've gathered and what I've, I've looked into, you, you write a lot. You like a lot of classic film from that era. You like um, a lot of music from that era. And you, and you write a lot about it. Where did the interest in writing come about? And, and how have you kind of interwoven that with some of your, your interests in this kind of era? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I've been writing... For like a while, you know, it was just something kind of in middle school that, you know, I was like, oh, I want to try and do this. I was able to get involved in my local library. And then from there, I just kind of kept writing. And initially it was a lot of like creative writing, but over time, I just found that I liked kind of analyzing the world around me and specifically, you know, art. That's something that is so important in my life, whether that be movies or music. And so kind of over time, I just started to think, well, I have a lot of thoughts about these things. Why don't I try and write them down? And so I started to pursue platforms like you know, Twitter, where I can do it in short form, or like Letterboxd, where I can write in longer form, um, and just kind of started to put down some of those thoughts. And over time, you know, like any skill, you get better at it. And I've gotten, you know, better trying to, to pick things apart and understand, you know, how an album works, or why it speaks to me personally, or why it might speak to other people. Um, and that's been, you know, really big with kind of the band too, is because there are so many moving parts. I love just sitting down and trying to think through, okay, how did they work and, and their history? And that's, you know, just an interesting thing to write about and think about. 
you know, I, I think there's there's been a lot of great writing out there on this era, on like the late 60s, 70s, kind of counterculture era, the folk movement with Dylan. Great writers that have specifically kind of talked about Dylan and the band from Grill Marcus to Barney Hoskins. Uh, you know, the, the kind of list goes on that have really dedicated a lot. Uh, have you consumed some of that material? And like, what is your opinion on some of this stuff as a writer, as a fan? Uh, did it quench your thirst? Did you did you think, oh, I need to know more? Like, what what was your experience with some of the writings around the band? So I guess I'll take the back part of that question first, but I definitely feel like there isn't enough uh, written about the band, especially as, you know, I'm sure you get this too, as it comes to Richard Manuel. Like, there is almost nothing about him individually. Uh, but I definitely read Barney Hoskins' book. I thought that was very good. I read the Craig Harris book, um, one of the newer ones from um, Kenneth and Harvey Kubernick. Uh, that was pretty good, you know, but there's definitely not a lot, which is kind of unfortunate because there's such a, a huge amount of history and huge amount of individual like, people to understand there. Um, and again, I'll, I'll shout out your podcast there that that's been huge for that. Like that's one of the best resources out there, I think. Appreciate it. No, thank you. Yeah, I think you touch on a very interesting point here. You know, there's some writing, there's a lot of general writing about the band as like a whole. Um, a lot of the writing tends to dominate towards Levon and, and, and Robbie. And I think there's a couple of reasons we can deduct here. Like they were definitely probably the most on the forefront of the group before and after. Uh, they both have their, you know, own bios on them. You know, uh, Levon has two now, like the one, his autobiography, and then the, the lovely book that Sandra Tuzzi wrote a few years ago. Um, and then Robbie has testimony and, and apparently he's putting out uh, a second volume um, with more. So, you know, obviously it's going to be talked about a little bit more. Uh, but for you in, in your project here that we're going to get into, I, I can I can maybe deduce that you have an affinity for for Richard Manuel. But was was he in particular somebody that you were dr drawn to or or do you have a favorite member? I know that's a tough question for a lot of folks. Was there somebody songs or singing or instrumentation that you were you know really drawn to when you were digging deeper into the band? Uh, Richard is definitely my favorite. You deduced that correctly. <laughs> Um, but I think I was kind of drawn to him right off the bat, even when I didn't necessarily like know who was who, I didn't know anybody's names. There was something about just that voice. I mean, like I said, music from Big Pink was huge for me. And obviously he starts and he finishes the album. He's the first and the last voice you hear. But it took me a little bit of listening like to the band. I was just listening kind of casually. And one day I was like, you know what? I like them a lot. I'm connecting with them. I want to find out more about them. And I was reading more about Richard and just learning about, you know, his life and what he dealt with and how he died. And I was listening to their music because, you know, that's basically all I listen to anymore. But <laughs> Sleeping had come on while I was researching him. And I had listened to it before, but all of a sudden I was hearing those words and just stopped when, oh my God, he's singing about himself. And I had never heard anybody except you know with the potential exception of like brian wilson's circle pet sounds and even then i don't think there's a competition here i had never heard anybody be that vulnerable and that self-reflective about their own life in music and right from that moment i was like there's something about him there's something about him that i'm really drawn to and i want to learn more and it just kind of went from there yeah you know music from big pink obviously i you know ultimately i think it's it's my favorite because you know, I think there's a lot of toss up between, you know, what their best album is and opinions. And I think 
generally the consensus is is that the Brown album is probably the best. But for me, it's music from Big Pink because I think it's obviously the band at the most collaborative. We have a lot more shared songwriting. We have a little bit, I think, more variety in the music as they're kind of still experimenting with kind of where they're going. Uh, you know, it's not maybe as tight as, as the Brown album, but I kind of like the little uh, you know, streams it runs off in different directions. And, and Richard, I think, is a massive part of that, writing a large portion of that album with Robbie. Um, when when it comes to your project now, though, with, with the Richard Manuel archive, what was, let's start with what was the reason for it? Like, what, what did you want to achieve? When did the idea kind of come into your head that, you know, maybe I, I'll, I'll uh, start something like this? So the more that I just kind of, you know, got into the band and started learning about him specifically, I was starting to sense the, okay, there are two very dominant narratives about the band. There's the Robbie story, there's the Levon story. And I was like, okay, well, what about, what about everybody else? Like there are three other members here. And as I started to read more about them, I was seeing that a lot of times it felt like Richard and his role was kind of relegated to, okay, this guy has a really great voice, but he was an alcoholic druggie and he killed himself. And it's like, okay, well, there's, there's more to it than that. You know, there's a lot more that he did. And so the idea kind of came to me all of a sudden that I was like, all right, I'm very passionate about his legacy. I'm passionate about the fact that there seems to be this whether or not it's conscious, this attempt to kind of discredit his role. And I decided I want to do something about it. And I then found out he didn't even have an individual biography. And I was like, well, what, you know, what can I do? Because I certainly didn't have the time or resources to tackle that kind of project. And it just kind of hit me all of a sudden. I was like, okay, well, what if you just do something smaller? Just sharing even just tidbits about his life and the other things that he did that, you know, don't get any play because everybody likes to focus on this, you know, the, the issues that he had. And then just kind of came to me. I was a little nervous about it at first, but I just said, all right, we're going to, we're going to try it. We're going to go for it and see what happens. Um, and already the, the response to it has been so positive. You know, I was really kind of taken aback by right off the bat, how many people were excited to talk about Richard and wanted to learn more about him. Um, so that's been really rewarding i'm just excited to see how it keeps going yeah i think there's that kind of consensus amongst a lot of uh band fans um that you, you don't really hear about you know it's unfortunate i've talked about it a couple of times but i think a large part of the band discourse at least online is around like the robbie levon stuff which i you know i i think it's worthy of talking about but i think there's a point in which like the conversation devolves from that and devolves into like a he said, he said, she said type thing. Um, and for new fans coming in for pre-existing fans, I think that does a disservice to kind of the other important parts that aren't talked about instead of kind of getting in the mud there. Like we should focus on elevating other aspects of the band. Um, so it's awesome that you're getting a, a good response and continue to. In terms of um, your background into this, your writing, uh, did you, did, I know this is going back a little bit, did you go to school for writing, uh, history, like research, and, and if you did, do you find yourself, you know, 
really utilizing those tools to help you here? Because like already, you know, um, some some of the stuff you're pulling out, you know, people post about Richard all the time on the Facebook groups and stuff, but you're obviously digging deeper. You have a skill for this. You have a talent for this. Is it in some of that background or education? Yeah. So thank you first for the kind words. I really appreciate that. So I minored uh, in history in college and had the opportunity to do a couple large research projects. Um, and do, you know, a lot of writing based upon that. And so that was something that I just always like enjoyed. It was something that I found I was good at. Um, that's just one of my favorite things. I like to know little tidbits about, you know, the things that I like, whether or not it's super practical information, I just like to have it. So I kind of decided that I had the skills to do it because of, you know, the things I had done in school, the things I had, had just kind of done for fun. Um, so I definitely have been using a lot of those research skills, those writing skills in doing this, which has been nice to kind of put that, put that in action uh, towards something, you know, I really care about towards a kind of passion project. Um, and that researching has definitely been digging deep. That was, I think, sometimes frustrating, but a, a mostly fun part of the research is I would come across something in a book and they'd say, you know, well, there is, there was this performance or there was this specific demo of a song. Um, and I would go on that, that rabbit hole, you know, that chase to try and find it. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but even if I didn't find exactly what I was looking for, I found something else that, that was pretty cool. Um, and I think that that's maybe the best part of, of researching in general, but specifically for this project. Like I just learn so much every time I dig back into it. This is one of the trickiest parts. And uh, we probably share this of, of doing something like this where you're researching or you're trying to find stuff with the band in particular, you know, juxtapos juxtaposed to say the Beatles or the Stones where they often had writers with them on tour following them around, befriending them. There's a lot more photos and videos of live performances. Um, they were a lot more public in their persona where the band tended to, at least most of them tended to kind of shun the kind of the press and even photos like Levon notoriously hated getting his photo taken. Um, so it poses a challenge and sometimes there's holes. And obviously I think one of the most challenging parts that I'm coming across now is I kind of wrap up my main kind of like the first iteration of the band, uh, is once you get into the reunion years, into the 80s and, and onwards, there's there's some gaps. Um, for you and your project, how do you tackle finding things that you think are interesting? How do you package them? And, and, and then maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit after that about um, kind of how you kind of deal with some of these challenging aspects of of the history kind of being like a tattered flag. Yeah, dealing with those holes is definitely a hard thing like you said, because even like you said earlier, it kind of devolves into a he said, she said, and a lot of the information about Richard specifically ends up being secondhand. And it's like, okay, well, how much of this do I take? How much of this do I really believe, you know, and, and incorporate into that? So a lot of it is basically just, I guess in the packaging, it is attributing sources. So that if I say something and people come in and they're like, well, where did you get that information that you can just kind of point to where you got it, especially whenever you have those holes where you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> you kind of have to take what you can get there. Um, and like you said, it's especially hard because there's not a lot of photos, there's not a lot of videos. And I have a love-hate relationship with that because I respect that decision. It really adds to their mystique and the feeling of them, honestly, as real people. Uh, but at the same time, it does make it hard as researchers whenever you're like, I need something here, but I don't have anything. 
Um, so just kind of balancing that, you know, and accepting the fact that sometimes you're going to get that information or that photo, that video, uh, and sometimes you're not, and you just kind of have to roll with it. Do you have a preferred way of, of, of searching for things? Do you, are you using a lot of like primary sources books to, to start you off and then going kind of down the rabbit hole of the internet? Cause one thing I find is as a professional and you're, or you're writing a book, you're going to present the information in a concise way on the internet. It's a little bit more muddled, but there tends to be some kind of little caves that you can find yourself wandering and you can actually find a lot of interesting stuff. How do you go about kind of like starting that process of tackling a, a performance or a year or a certain item that interests you and then kind of following that through to the end where you're kind of like compiling something and putting it online? So I definitely, whenever I started the project, just wanted to get kind of a broad overview of his life and how that kind of contextualized within the history of the band. So I started with, you know, books like the Hoskins book and the Harris book and went through and just kind of made a timeline of his life um, and then just of important dates, which is how the Twitter works is, you know, a lot of phone reminders for those important dates. Um, but then from there, I just kind of as I research and if I found, you know, they mentioned something specific, like a specific concert or a specific event, then from there, I'd go to the internet and just kind of search, see what I can find. And if they're like, tangentially related things going down that path too um you know it sometimes derails you for a couple hours but hey, you know it's, it's all all for good good reasons here um, but definitely just kind of starting with a broad perspective and then from there going into those more specific items because it's both good and bad sometimes that they have such a long kind of complex history because it means that there is a lot there but at the same time, there are so many different directions you can go. And sometimes that gets overwhelming. What is your favorite piece of information or a little tidbit that you found along the way uh, that, you know, kind of was like, oh, wow, that's that's interesting. You know, a lot of the project was trying to learn about like Richard as a person. And so I think something that I really enjoyed was finding quotes like from other people about Richard and talking about him. Um, there was one in the Hoskins book, I believe, where Garth Coe, who ended up becoming the guitarist of uh, Richard's first band prior to joining the Hawks, the Rebels, talked about him being like just very introspective, even at like a young teenage age, that they would just drive around and like talk about the meaning of life. And he said that Richard's like mantra at the time was live tonight because tomorrow you might get hit by a truck. I thought that that was just wonderful. And that really kind of embodied, you know, kind of the, the person that he feels like from from everything that you learn and that really stuck out to me because you know for all of all of the things he dealt with and all the problems that he had he certainly wasn't you know a saint he had his own issues but the fact that almost everybody speaks just so positively of him and says you know he was very introspective he was very you know gentle was a genuinely good person when you got down to it I thought was really really beautiful and I loved to learn that and just basically hear people talk about him again that's basically we buy on for him which is kind of sad but now let's let's talk about something that i know is like the thing that dominates the discourse a lot around richard but i think it's important and I, i'm trying to help reframe it like listen i fall down the rabbit hole myself in terms of sometimes kind of I have to catch myself when i'm writing because i obviously i deeply care about richard he's he's my favorite member of the band if i had to pick one but sometimes i'm writing something i go back and i'm like wait I got to take a step back because I feel like this is kind of continuing along the same narrative that we've heard a billion times before. And not that parts of that narrative or 
you know, stuff around that is is false. But I think there is a little bit new, more nuance that has to be addressed. But you know, the drugs and the drinking are are not new for rock stars. Um, it's something that's definitely, you know, kind of a normal part. Uh, Richard, as we, as we know, deeply sensitive, definitely troubled from a very young age. We also know that during that era, like things about mental health discussion and dealing with issues wasn't something that was that prevalent. Um, and that he suffered probably from some form of depression and other things for the entirety of his life, which, you know, in some ways gave us the greatness of Richard Manuel in terms of his songwriting and his contributions to music, but obviously came to a sad end. How do you kind of, if you, if, if, you know, if you were to surmise kind of Richard and some of his struggles, um, what, what are some of your opinions on it and from what you've gleaned and things like that? What, what you know, at the root of it, I, you know, how was Richard and his issues uh, maybe a good thing, a bad thing, and, and, and how that kind of played out with the rest of the music and his bandmates? So, you know, like you said, obviously that was a big part of his life was dealing with that addiction. And it's sad that he did live at a time where people just weren't as understanding or at least as perceptive of mental health issues. Um, because it, it's easy for us to look back now and be like, guys, he's so clearly like depressed and has issues, like help him. But at the time, you know, they just didn't get it. And it was even, you know, sad seeing some quotes saying that by the time he joined, you know, the Hawks whenever he was 18, that he was already an alcoholic. Like, Clearly he had that disposition and he had those problems. And it's just a shame because he was constantly enabled in that. So, you know, obviously as a teenager joining this, you know, this band with, with Ronnie Hawkins and whatnot, okay, well, all of a sudden you start getting all these drugs and all this alcohol and all these women thrown at you. I mean, you're a teenage guy alone for the first time. Of course, like you're going to buy into that. And you see that continue to happen, that they just have those things readily available. So of course he keeps falling down that rabbit hole. And, you know, it's just a really sad thing to see because there are times when he gets really close to being clean or actually does get clean. You know, he gets clean for a couple of years towards the end of his life. And even reading about, you know, their time at Big Pink where he's talking about, you know, fresh air, like he seems genuinely healthy. Not that there's not like debauchery going on, but you know, it's manageable. Like he seems healthy. And it's really, really sad because you kind of start to pick up on this pattern then that whenever they're not doing a lot of work or whenever, you know, they're kind of butting heads that he turns to this addiction again. But whenever things are going really well with the group, he feels like he has something to look forward to. It seems like it's less of an issue. And that's kind of a pattern that I, that I picked up on, you know, and that's just such a shame because if he had just gotten the help that he needed and hadn't constantly been in an environment where all of these things that he was addicted to were readily available to him, you know, maybe things would have turned out differently. And of, of course, that's, that's speculation and we can't prove that, but you like to think that maybe it would have turned out differently. How do you, this is maybe a harder question, but like, how do you feel about the narrative about Richard, like even portrayed by his own bandmates, particularly, you know, there was conversations good conversations, I guess, around kind of um, 
how Robbie went about it in Once Were Brothers, uh, talking about Richard and kind of the a lot of the press that he did afterwards. You know, it's tough because Richard's obviously not here to talk about himself and nor is Levon or Rick to, you know, even chime in. So it's very one-sided, I guess, uh, his his perspective. But how do you feel about some of the kind of narratives that are spoken about by by folks like Robbie? Yeah, I find it incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, I know we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording, but that was something that really frustrated me in, in Once We're Brothers. And maybe I'm just hypersensitive to this, but it felt like at a certain point, Robbie was implicating uh, Richard almost like single-handedly him uh, and his issues as being like the driving factor behind the group breaking up. And certainly that was a part of it. You know, again, I'm not going to act like that wasn't part of it. But also, you know, everybody had their own issues that they were dealing with. There were other problems there. And so, you know, the fact that there does continue to be this narrative, which again, you know, just by virtue of the fact that he is one of two people still alive and the only one that regularly says anything or does anything publicly, yeah, he gets to control that narrative. And that's kind of a shame because then it does lead to this misunderstanding of Richard and basically blaming everything on him, which doesn't, you know, that doesn't seem right. And if you do even just a modicum of extra research, it becomes true that that's not the case. Uh, And I think that that's uh, probably the most frustrating thing. And that was a big part of the archive for me is, you know, Richard's not alive to defend himself. And like you said, you know, Levon and Rick, who even after his death would say good things about him, aren't alive to even try and combat this either. So at a certain point, it feels like you have to kind of get involved and say, well, maybe that's not the case, you know? Uh, so that's, that's very frustrating. Absolutely. With that and, and getting back to the, to the archive project, you know, it started um, and it's like we were talking about earlier, it's been, it's been well-received. Um, I really like it myself. I know a lot of other folks have, have really enjoyed it so far. What is your goal with it in the next, you know, like maybe the overall goal with it, but like, what are you really going to try to be doing in the next, you know, six months um, with with the project? I think a lot of people are curious, including myself about, you know, where you want to go with it. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll start with the overall goal um, was kind of just to, you know, like I mentioned earlier, maybe educate more so about the other things that Richard did both in the band, you know, because he doesn't, tend to get a lot of credit um, for, you know, even his songwriting, like his drumming, the other things that he did past singing, because even the singing barely gets enough credit, kind of to educate about those things. But also, you know, he participated as a musician on so many other people's albums, too, and has such a wide reach. Um, So kind of the biggest goal there is to educate about everything that he did and kind of frame him more as you know, a person who deserves to be celebrated, who just happened to deal with addiction and had a tragic death. Because as it stands right now, it feels like that legacy is so largely defined by, you know, the way he died and the way that he suffered throughout his life. And that's not, I mean, that's not fair. That does him such a great disservice uh, for everything that he did. So that's kind of the overall goal. Um, Within the next six months, just trying to find, you know, I have a lot of, of, things scheduled, you know, a lot of events that we're going to be commemorating and things like that and talking about. Uh, But kind of my biggest goal is to just kind of increase the level of conversation about Richard. You know, I don't necessarily want to be 
you know, at the end of the day, if this takes off and other people are talking about Richard more regularly, I consider that the best thing in the world. Like, I don't want to necessarily be the one person talking about it. Um, and that would be, you know, the greatest goal within the next six months is to see a more regular discussion and celebration of him, not just, you know, oh, Richard Manuel, that guy from the band who, you know, we want to blame everything on, but instead, oh, you know, Richard Manuel, who did all of these great songs, great songwriter, you know, participated in all these other albums. Um, so that's kind of the goal within the next six months is to just kind of increase the level of awareness and discussion. Awesome. And it's on it's on Twitter right now. So that's great. I think that's really accessible. It's short bite sized bits. I really like, you know, now with the integration of threads on Twitter, it really makes information a little bit more digestible. And, and it's a platform that a lot of people are on. Is there any um, plans to, you know, do some more long form writing on like a blog or something or, you know, any other kind of forms of, of writing or content around Richard? Or are you primarily still going to be focusing on kind of um, collecting and curating that on Twitter. I definitely want to try and start doing long form writing or even encouraging other people to do some long form writing that, you know, that I can share on the archive, things like that. Um, I definitely, you know, like you said, given the, the things that I do with writing, I would love to write more extensively about him. Um, you know, as of right now, just since they're still getting it off the ground, the main focus is curating for the archive, but that is definitely one of those you know, within six months goals uh, is seeing how we can expand that, you know, because that's a big part of it. If we want to talk more about Richard, you might need a little more than 280 characters, you know, so that would be a huge thing to be able to do more long form writing, both, you know, from myself um, and from, you know, other people who care and have things to say about it. Awesome. Let's, let's go to some fun questions here. So Band fan, listen to the album, love Richard. Let's start with what's your favorite Richard song? If you had to pick a Richard song, either that he wrote or that he sung, uh, or maybe even both, uh, what what are some of your favorites? Oh boy, I had a feeling you might ask me this and I still wasn't prepared for it. Oh no. I feel like my answer could change like based on the day that you asked me. Um, I'm a really big fan of Rocking Chair. I think that one's wonderful. Uh, Jawbone, I mean, the vocal power that he has in the chorus of that like surprises me every time. Um, and a, a lesser, I guess, hyped up one, um, Share Your Love With Me from Moondog Matinee. Oh, I love that one. Um, in terms of ones that he's written, uh, definitely, I mean, in a station, of course, that's that one is so hard to beat. Um, yeah, and you know, the, he took part in the writing of, of Whispering Pines and Sleeping. I'm going to name all of them if you let me keep going. One of the things that I think is really undervalued, and I've talked about it a few times, but I, I definitely want to talk about it more in the future. And and definitely maybe you can help me with this. But I think that the, the co-writer, like we talk a lot about this era. We talk a lot about co-writers. We talk about the Glimmer Twins and, and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards or Lennon and McCartney, obviously the two like huge ones. But I think Robbie Richard is a very, very underrated songwriting pair. They wrote a lot of great songs together. And I think obviously that should be celebrated more, but what's your opinion on kind of their strength of their co-writing? Obviously Richard wrote a lot of songs solo. He wrote some with Bob. Um, and then, you know, Robbie's obviously written a lot of songs as well. How, how do you feel about uh, their songwriting duo? Do you, do you, do you have as much passion for that duo as, as I do? Yeah, I, I'm pretty passionate about that duo, you know, as, as it's become clear in the interview, I have, you know, some, some thoughts on Robbie, but 
there is no way you can deny his ability as a songwriter. And I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but he was talking about, I think it was specifically with Whispering Pines, that he was able to kind of write like for Richard, like in his head, think about, you know, how he sees things. And he was able to write things that really suited Richard. And so especially whenever they're writing things together, that you kind of have Robbie trying to come from Richard's perspective and Richard obviously coming from his own perspective, that that comes together in some really, really beautiful ways. And the songs that they do together are just gorgeous. I mean, they really are some of, I think, the best the band has done. As we kind of go more on a macro level in terms of the band's albums, and their performance and stuff what are some things that stand out to you like what are you what what would you classify maybe as your favorite album or you know era or you know anything like that you know i feel like i'm gonna say music from big pink it's just so hard not to say that um it's such a a gorgeous album of course one that i have a lot of of love for because of the way that it brought me to the band but kind of like you said earlier it just has so many different threads about it you know it there's so many things going on but somehow it all comes together perfectly and you know even the way that like the tracks are like ordered on it is incredible like everything about it is perfect and you can really just kind of slip into the magic of the time that it was being recorded uh you really feel that and it's probably my favorite album stage fright is a close second but it's probably music from big bang I hope a lot of the people that listen to the uh, to the podcast um, go on Twitter and and, and follow along. I, I know I shouted it a few times, and a, a, f- a few folks that follow me definitely went over, and I, I will continue to uh, promote it. But where where can where can fans of the show here or fans of the band, uh, fans of Richard, find find uh, find this Twitter? Yeah, so we are on Twitter. Um, I don't know why I keep saying we, it's just me right now. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can follow it. The handle is at Manual Archive. Um, the title of the account is just Richard Manual Archive. Um, so if you find it, that's that's me. Awesome. Is there anything else in closing here that you would really like to say that we that maybe we didn't get to talk about in, in uh, the main part of the, uh, the chat? Here? I don't have anything too specific other than just, you know, thanking you for what you're doing for the band's legacy and specifically everything you've done for Richard. Um, thank you for the opportunity to come on and, and talk about him and for promoting the work that I'm doing here, too. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to The Band of History. I really hope you enjoyed this Patreon-exclusive episode. Like Brianna mentioned towards the end of the episode, if you want to check it out on Twitter, you can have the handle Manual Archive. I think it's a really wonderful and interesting project, and I'm looking forward to seeing it grow and doing my part in supporting somebody else in our community here. So make sure you go online and give it a follow. I really hope you enjoyed this interview and Patreon exclusives like this on our page here, and we will catch you on the next one.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.